thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It is just good to be here today. I hope you feel the same way. Uh, we're going to continue uh, today and kind of, we, we've spent a handful of weeks uh, in Luke chapter 15 together talking about uh, this chapter from a lot of different perspectives, looking at uh, the first two stories and then last week the prodigal son. But today we're going to spend some time talking about um, maybe maybe a, just as much a central character to this story of the prodigal son, uh, but looking at the father. If you ever want to ask yourself the question and try to figure out the, the idea behind the answer or the question of who is God, well, what is a great place to go to to look at a description of God, Luke chapter 15 is really one of those great places that I think you can go. Because in Luke chapter 15, in the story of the prodigal son, even though many times we talk about uh, the son and the things that he did and the way that he acted, there is a great picture painted of God himself. And as we look at this text together this morning, I want us to maybe make some, some comments and, and connect some things from this story to God so that can understand who God is. One of the things that maybe is difficult for some reason, for, for some people, is to make the connection that God is our Father. Because for, for some of us, unfortunately for some of you, maybe your relationship with your father or with your parents uh, has been a challenging one through the years. Maybe there's, there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. So when we ask ourselves or when we make the, the statement that God is like our father or God is our father, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can take the challenges of our earthly relationships and put them on the face of God. And we can say, well, my father was this and this and this, so if God's going to be my father, then he obviously must be those things as well. And that is not the truth. So, so we have to really sometimes dig in and look past our own struggles, look past our own problems, look past maybe some of the things that have happened in our life, and really try to see God for, for who he really is. And in this particular story, I think we get some very good picture, a very good picture painted of who God is. So let's, let's read our story together as we have uh, the last couple of times we've been together, starting in verse 11, and then we're going to talk about some things together. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son uh, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything." When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's go to God in prayer before we get into our discussion with each other. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this moment that we get to come together and just open up your word and study. We thank you for this moment that has been uh, set aside for us to come and, and, and worship you, to bring praise into your throne room today, to, to pray to you, to read from your word, God. We thank you for those things. We thank you for the moment of communion that we've had today, God, that brings us to the foot of the cross and connects us with all of our brothers and sisters around the world uh, as, as we all remember the sacrifice of Jesus today. We thank you for inviting us to your table in that moment, God. God, as we open up and study from this passage, we just pray that your spirit be in this room, that your spirit be in our hearts and in our lives. God, convict us um, as we study from your word. Help the things that we talk about today to be nothing but truth. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So as we get into the study, the first thing that I want you to think about with me today, the first kind of picture that's painted of God in this moment is this, that we serve a God who regrets your rebellion. We serve a God who regrets your rebellion. So in our story, and then we talked about this last week, we've got this scenario that this young man is going to receive an inheritance. Okay, an inheritance is something that, that you don't earn. You know, the, your, your inheritance that you may have received in your life or that's coming to you maybe at some point, you didn't do a single thing to deserve that inheritance. It's just something that is a blessing, if you will. It's a gift. It's something that is given to you because of the family that you were born into, and you had no choice in that birth to begin with. But so we've got this young man, and he comes up to his dad, and he says, Dad, I want you to give me what you owe me. I, I know one of these days you're going to die, and you're going to kick the bucket, and you're going to be gone, but I don't want to wait till that point. I, I don't, I don't want to wait to receive my gift. Then I want it now. I want it now. You know, I think that's an attitude that all of us can, can understand because we live in a I want it now culture, don't we? We live in a I want it now culture. It, it, it's just, it is what it is. Everything is at our fingertips in many ways. Um, you don't want to cook supper, you want to eat right now. There's a handful of restaurants that you don't even have to go into and sit down. Just drive through. Matter of fact, nowadays, you don't even have to order. My least favorite thing to do in the world is to order for my family in a drive through can't stand it. As a matter of fact, if we are, this happened last Sunday night, I think it was, we are leaving the church building, and the kids all wanted something to eat, and we were going to get them something, and then Blair and I were going to eat at home. So we're, dry, we're pulling out of the parking lot, and the kids were like, okay, we want this and this and this. I think we're going to go to Taco Bell or something. I don't remember where we went. But anyway, I stopped the truck, put it in drive, and got out and said, Blair, you drive. I was not going to order. I just, it's, I, I, I can't stand doing it. But in the grand scheme of things, it's easier than cooking supper. It's so convenient. It's so, I want it now. You want to buy a new car nowadays? What can you get on? You can get on, what's the new, the new thing to buy a car? 
Carvana. You don't even have to go to a car lot anymore. They'll, they'll bring it to you. Put it in your driveway. You've got five days with it. If you don't like it after five days, you know what you can do? Call them and send it back. Okay? Everything is I want it now and I can get it now. Okay? It's all just right here, right in this moment. And that's what this guy's doing. That's what this prodigal son's. I want it now. I'm not going to be patient. I'm not going to wait. But now one thing that is so true, we talked about this in our class this morning, that one of the, the, the biggest things in our relationship with God is patience. Because God says, I've got a plan. We're going to go somewhere. We're not going to get there until I'm ready, God says. We're not going to get there until it's on my time. But even in our relationship with God, we, we want it right then, right there in that moment. And this father... This is, this, is, this is God. This father goes, hey, you know what? If that's what you want, I'm going to give it to you. And sometimes I wonder, how many prayers have I prayed to God that God has looked at me and said, your way is not the best way, but I'm going to answer that prayer because I want you to learn that my way is best. And in this moment, this dad does that. He says, I know this isn't what's best, but I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to give you what you've asked for. And I know, I know that in that moment that there had to be a lot of hurt because of the son's attitude, because of the son's just lack of love, lack of patience. His dad had to regret what his son was doing. And that is the truth with us today too. You see, we are in a very unique relationship with God, the creator of the universe. You know, there comes a time in our life if we so choose that we look at God and we say, hey, I want to be part of your family. I want to be saved by you. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And in that moment, in that moment, scripture teaches us, and we got to see this in a powerful way last Sunday. In that moment, scripture teaches us, if you're baptized and, and you believe in God, in that moment, your sins are washed away and you start in this new relationship. And, and that is such a wonderful thing. That is such a powerful thing. But the truth of the relationship is, God doesn't make you stay. God doesn't say, once you become my child, you have to stay here. Matter of fact, I think it's so neat. In, in, in the Great Commission, he tells his apostles, he says, therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make them. And the idea there is to go and convince people. He doesn't say, go force people. He doesn't say, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, bow down to me. He doesn't do that. He says, I, I want you to choose me. I want you to want me. But the flip side of that is this. He says, if you want to go, you're free to go. And I think we struggle with that sometimes, especially as Christians, because we look at people and, and especially people that have been here and then they leave and we're like, you have to come back. You have to come back. We need to do everything we can. And I agree, we need to do everything we can to pull those people back in. But God says, no, uh -uh, you don't have to come back. Now, what we're going to see here in a few minutes when we, when we make those decisions, we put ourselves in a situation where we no longer receive the benefits from living in the house. Hey, we put ourselves in a, in a situation to where we're still God's child, but the benefits of living in the house, they no longer exist for us. 
and that's a challenging place to put ourselves because that's a place that separates us from the Father, okay? But this is all voluntary. This is all voluntary. You, you get to decide what you want to do in this relationship. Paul says, and he's talking about it in, in a little bit different way, but I, but I think this applies to so many things in our life. He says all things are, are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. If you want to walk away, you've got that. You've got that. That's, that's, go ahead and do it. But it's not going to be the most beneficial thing in your life. But we serve a God that says, hey, when, when you want to walk away, go ahead. That, that's, that's your call. It's free will. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's what happens to Adam and Eve. God could have come down and goes, no, 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 no. Don't, don't take a bite of that. He said, look, we have a relationship. We have a relationship here. And, and the benefits of my relationship with Adam and Eve, he goes, the benefits are you get to live in this garden, which is, which is the, like the, the focal point of creation. It's the most amazing part of creation. He says, but to live here, there's a couple of things you've got to do. Now, You've got a decision to make. What's it going to be? I think of um, David and Bathsheba, and I think of David, you know, David, the man after God's own heart. But he had this moment where he says, what I want, I want it now, became more important to him in that moment than his relationship with God. And we're all going to have these moments in our life where we have to make a decision. What's the most important thing? My relationship with God or what I want? And he says, you're free to make whatever decision that you want to make. But understand, when you make those decisions, that you're grieving God. You're hurting your father. You're, you're, you're causing him pain, and you're causing him heartache. When you think, my sin only affects myself, understand that your sin affects yourself and a lot of other people. But first and foremost, your sin affects God because God loves you that much, that if you walk out on him, he's going to let you go, but it's going to hurt him. We serve a God, we serve a God who regrets our rebellion. That's the first thing that I want you to see this morning. But the second thing, and, and this is maybe my favorite thing that's painted in this story, is we serve a God, we have a father who runs when you return. We serve a father. We have a father who runs when you return. So the prodigal son, he didn't fare well in, in the far country. He, he lived the high life. He lived, uh, he lived his best life, as, as we talked about last week, kind of that slogan that's out you know, in the world today. Uh, the, the, the scripture says that he squandered his wealth in, in wild living. And what to me, what that means is that he had fun, he had friends, anything he wanted to do in a very short period of time, he instant gratification right then, right there. And that there was a short period, uh, uh, we don't know how long it was, but in the grand scheme is a short period, because what squandered means, everything's gone quickly. In a short period of time, he lived it up. Anything he wanted to do, anything he wanted, anything he saw, it was all about him. You know, and when you're, when you're throwing the party, there's always a lot of people that want to come be involved, all right? But then all of a sudden, it runs out. And I want you to know this morning that if you choose to walk away from God, we mentioned this last week, sin can be fun. 
Sin can be fun. And, and if it wasn't fun, it wouldn't be a temptation. If it didn't have some instant gratification to it, it wouldn't be a temptation. If it didn't look good, sound good, smell good, whatever, it wouldn't be a temptation for us. So there is an aspect of sin that when someone falls into sin, whether it's a temptation to you or not, you can stand back and look at it and go, okay, I get it. I see why he did that. I see why she did that. I understand why they're why they are are living that way or why why they chose this over that. Because in the moment, sin can be exhilarating, sin can be profitable, sin can be fun. But just like in the prodigal son, all of that comes at a cost. All of that comes at a cost. It comes with failed marriages. It comes with broken relationships. It comes with the loss of jobs. It comes with you fill in the blank there because you've seen it happen with other people and many of you have probably experienced it. Sin has an instant gratification moment, but that gratification comes at a cost. And we, we look at this particular story and we see that this guy loses his friends. He loses everything that was given to him, nothing that he had earned, everything that was given to him. He lost that. He loses his family. He loses so many things, and he finds himself in this pig pen, and then the best kind of phrase about him, he came to his senses, which means he realized everything he had and then everything he lost. And he has this moment, and he goes, I can go home. I can go home. And so he starts back home. Now, I want you to think about, um, I want you to think about what this kid, what this guy probably looked like when he left versus what he looked like when he came home. I mean, hey, Jake, stand up this morning. Stand up for me. Y'all, Jake looks good this morning. Turn around and let everybody see you. Keep on turning. Go the other way. They can't, Bruce needs to see you, okay? This is what I picture this is what I picture the prodigal son looking like when he leaves. You can sit down, Jake. Okay? I mean, Jake looks good. Now, Brian's not just kidding. Um, <laughs> but let's take Jake outside and let's roll him in the mud for a week. And let's, let's not take a shower for a month. And let's take all the scrap food from the table from every meal. And we're going to throw it on Jake at the end of every meal. Okay? Think Jake's going to look and smell good at the end of that week? No, not at all. And that's what this prodigal son comes home to. That's what this prodigal son comes home to, or comes home as. And so he comes home, and he's practiced this speech of I sinned against heaven and against dad and all these different things. But what does dad do? What does dad do? Dad doesn't just... Dad doesn't wait for him to come. The I have this image of this story, and this is just Matthew, okay? This is just in Matthew's, in Matthew's mind, all right? Um, it can be different for everybody because the Scripture doesn't, doesn't say this, but, but I, I'm just, this is just part of the fill-in-the-blanks of the story. I imagine that as he left, that Dad walked with him for a little while, told him goodbye, um, gave him a hug, Told him, if you ever want to come home, we're always here. You know, in the South, we do that. There's, there's three levels of saying goodbye in the South. 
there is the, hey, goodbye. Then there is the, we're going to all walk to the door together and talk a little bit longer and say goodbye. And then we're going to all walk outside to the car and talk a little bit longer and say goodbye. And if you don't believe me, wait till Wednesday night at Trunk or Treat and think about that. That's how you're all going to say goodbye to people on Wednesday night more than likely. Like, it's just how it happens. It'll happen this morning. Some of you will say goodbye to the same person four times before you actually leave today. And so I picture this Southern dad doing this with his son. There's like three levels of goodbye, all right? But it's a lot more emotional. And then the son walks away. And in my mind, I have this image of, on a regular basis, the dad walking back to that spot that they said goodbye and looking to see if he sees his son. Is he coming home? And, and my, my, my thought here is that he had come to that point and he looks out into the distance and this day it was different. He sees a silhouette coming home. And as it gets closer, there's something familiar about it. It doesn't quite look like the same guy that left. He doesn't have the same strut. But that's my son. And what does Scripture say that this dad did from that point on? Scripture does say this. He ran to him. He ran to him. And, and that is a very undignified thing, okay? A very undignified thing to do for grown men is to run. Even, even today, for just a guy to, just to, to, to start off running for what seems to be, no, you're like, what in the world? You know, we make the joke, if you see me run, you better run too, you know, because something's behind me. It's the only reason I'm going to be running. But this guy had a reason to run for something, to run to something. And as nasty and dirty and gross as this guy was, the dad runs up to him and he wraps his arms around him and the scripture says that it kissed him, but that word there is, is the idea of he smothered him with kisses. We've all got that family member at Christmas that kisses everybody and kisses like that. That was, that was him. He smothers him with kisses. Now, this is something that I have found in my studies um, is that there's a familiar story to this in, in, in Jewish culture, but there's a difference right here that in, in the original story, in the original story, the story goes that the son comes home and he says, dad, I've sinned against heaven and against earth and, and I'm no longer whether to be called your child and all this stuff. And the dad goes, you're right. You're right. You're not worthy. You've made your bed, now lay in it. And so this may have been a story that these people were used to hearing, but at this point they're going, oh yeah, we've heard this story, but Jesus changes the story. Jesus changes the story. And the way Jesus changes the story is not only does the father meet the guy halfway, just like God does us, but he looks at him and he says, when you decide to come home, I'm going to treat you as if you never left. I'm going to treat you as if you never left. So the son comes home, and he's nasty, and he's gross, and he comes to his dad and says, hey, look, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against earth, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, and he stops him right there, he doesn't let him finish, because the rest of it is, just make me like one of your hired men. But nowhere in this dad's mind was this son of his ever going to come home and just be a servant. No, this is his son. This is his flesh and blood. This is the child that he had raised up into a man and that he had gone fishing with and gone hunting with and had watched ball games with and then done all of these things. This was his child. And he says, you're not going to be my servant, but you'll always be my son. And what does he say to do? Go and get the best robe. And I love that image. 
I love that image of the father taking the best robe and wrapping his son in it, covering up all the filth, covering up all the stink, all the whatevers. I mean, everything's on this guy at this point. I mean, this guy's working in a pig pen. He's dirty. And I love that image of Jesus going, hey, just come home. And when you come home, I've got that white robe of righteousness just waiting for you. And I'm gonna wrap you up in it and you're gonna look as if you never left. And that's what the father does. He says, bring a ring and put it on his finger. That's a signet ring that says that I belong here. I have the authority of dad, okay? I belong in this family. Put shoes on his feet. And then my favorite part, we're gonna have a good fashion barbecue. He goes, go get the fatted calf and let's cook that sucker. We're going to celebrate because this child of mine that was lost is found again. And I want you to know this morning, if you're struggling, if, if, if you're having that hard time in your life, if you're not sure, hey, can, what, what, you know, what's going on, and you can always come home. You can always come home because you've got a father that says, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what you've done, this is, this is where Jesus and God and Holy Spirit, I, I truly believe this. I truly believe that when we come home, they don't care where we've been. Have that moment of confession, have that moment of repentance, and that forgiveness comes, and that's all forgotten. What they're concerned about is what are you going to do from that moment on? So that's my question for you this morning. Where have you been? Do you feel separated from God? Do you feel kind of distant from God? Okay, well, guess what? You can, you can, you can close that distance today. You can start back home, and God's going to run to you and say, welcome back. Come on back in. We're, we're having a party. Okay, we're celebrating. We're excited about you coming back. And he's just concerned about what you do from that point forward. You know, we hold grudges. We remember things. We look back a lot more than we look ahead as, as, as people, but not God. God says, you're forgiven. Let's move on. You're forgiven. Let's move on. And so I want you to know that, and I want you to understand that this morning. I want to give you maybe some encouraging thoughts in a very specific way this morning, because I know that as we sit and talk about some of this stuff this morning that there are some of you, and this is always the case, there are some of you this morning who you're here and you're faithful, but yet you have prodigals of your own, that you really can understand the pain of the father because you pray for, for your children all the time. I, um had a great-grandmother that always made sure on Sunday afternoon she'd eat lunch, and then as soon as lunch was over, she'd get on her phone and she'd start calling all the great-grandkids and all the grandkids to see where they went to church that morning. And not just where the church went to church that morning, she asked what the sermon was about. And there were some of them that all went to church together in Memphis, and she knew that if they didn't, the sermon didn't line up, then somebody didn't go to church. Okay, But she was so afraid that they were going to fall away. And she did their best to, to, in her own way to keep them pulled in to the family of God. And some of you, you know, as much as you've tried to keep your family pulled in, that there's, there's, there's children of yours or, or, or parents of yours or siblings of yours that, that don't have that relationship with God. And, and, I, and I wanted to share some things with you very quickly. 
The first thing is this, God understands your pain. When you talk to God about it, know that God understands your pain. Um, he, he is a God that has seen the history of his followers be with him for a while and then fall away and be with him for a while and fall away. And he understands how you feel. The next thing is this, don't jump in the pig pen to rescue them. As parents, the one thing that we want to do for our children, and I learn this more and more every day, is we want to keep them safe and keep them from dealing with pain and struggle. And so a lot of times we will, we will put ourselves in a bad situation to try to help them, and that's something that we can't do. We have to make sure that our faith is firm and not jump in the pig pen with them. The third thing, we talked about this last week a little bit, let them know the door is always open. That any time that they want to come home to you, any time they want to come back to the church, that they are welcomed and that they will be received with love and with, with forgiveness. And, that, and that's, that's the fourth thing, receive them when they repent. That's, that's a struggle I think that some parents have and some church members have. It's the struggle of the older brother, and we really didn't get to him in this series but the older brother is so aggravated because what does he say? This brother of mine has gone and he has squandered all your money with prostitutes. He said, but I've been here the whole time. And when have you ever done anything for me? And he's frustrated. And he doesn't want to give forgiveness. He doesn't want to give love. He doesn't want to give grace. But we can't be that way. When someone repents and God says, hey, that's in the past, let's move on. We have to work in that direction as well. It's not as easy for us. We're not God. We don't forget. We still carry those emotions. We still carry that pain. We still carry that hurt. But we do need to start restoring relationships in a positive direction. So don't give up if you're a parent of a prodigal this morning. Keep praying. Understand that God has a plan. We may not understand that plan, but God does. And let's just continue to work forward in being a part of it. Let's go to God in prayer as we close. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this lesson. And our, and our prayer this morning is for those who are struggling with their relationship, those who are feeling distant from you this morning, God. And we just pray that um, you give them the courage to come home. Give them the courage to walk back down the road, uh, to understand that you're gonna meet them there and we're all gonna meet them there, God, so that they can feel loved in this family again. Lord, we thank you for being this God, this God that is so full of grace and mercy and, and love. Help us to tap into that uh, and live that in our own lives and share that with as many people as we can every single day. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a church of Christ caring for its community.